the new Patriot Manifesto is not just a rehashing of 20 million different books you've probably read before about why liberty matters. The New Patriot Manifesto is exactly the title. It's a new manifesto for the next generation of patriots. How should we look at cybersecurity, the surveillance state? Is the gig economy growing? What about self-defense, free speech, things that matter all the time, but they're aimed more towards the next generation of liberty leaders and people that want to take on the challenges of tomorrow. The New Patriot Manifesto comes out November 24th and is written by Eli Bowman. You can go ahead and find it on Facebook to get ready, and you can ch check out your own copy on Amazon. That's the New Patriot Manifesto by Eli Bowman. This is the Live Free and Glow Podcast with your host, Jason Carrier. Welcome to Live Free and Grow. I'm your host, Jason Carrier, and today we're going to talk about one of the most essential homesteading, survivalist, and living free skills, and that is hunting. Cards on the table, I am not a hunter. I didn't grow up hunting. I learned to shoot in the Marine Corps, but they never actually sent me out in the woods to go kill deer. So with that, I've reached out on the interweb, and I found the man I think can actually fill this gap in knowledge for our listeners. His name is Nathan Nathan. Pickney, and he runs a podcast called Mentor the Hunt. With that, hey, Nathan, you there? I'm here. Outstanding. So if, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit, a bit about yourself. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, like you said, my name is Nathan Pitney. I, um, I, have, I have kind of a different path to hunting than most people do, and um, I think that's partially the reason why I even started um, Mentor the Hunt. Um, I didn't grow up hunting. I, um, I the, the desire kind of was always there, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until I was married, actually, and um, I looked at my wife one day and I just said, I'm going hunting. And uh, she, <laughs> she was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what just happened? And... I just said it's it's been something I've wanted to try my whole life, and uh, I'm I'm just going to do it. And so for the next ten years, I bumbled around and you know tried to figure out how to hunt. And I live I live in I live in the Southwest. I live in Arizona, um, and uh, so learning kind of the Western draw style and just you know how to get a tag and it, it's it's a pretty steep learning curve. And so. Um, yeah, 10, 10 years ago, that's really all how it started, and, and I was thinking back, and man, I really wish that I would have had some sort of guide, something to help me, you know, kind of get into it, and that's what led to, you know, founding MentorTheHunt.com and the Mentor the Hunt podcast. Excellent. So, how long did it, you know, do you think actually think it took to get good at hunting? And I'm going to say get good, I don't just talk about... <laughs> pulling the trigger and dropping an animal. I'm talking about processing it and able to put it in your freezer and start using it for some self-sustainability. Yeah, so to preface that question, I, I guess I should say that um, I do all my own butchering. Um, I do all my own processing. 
Um, once once I take the deer, it, it doesn't leave my possession until it's fed me and warmed me and all those things. Um, so uh, to really become good at that, um, it does take some time. Uh, and, and honestly, it takes usually someone to really show you how to do it. Uh, the first time I you know, broke down a deer, actually butchered it, cut it up myself, packaged the meat, all that. Um, I did a horrible job. I mean, horrible job. <laughs> um, but then the next time I was put in that same scenario, I had actually, um, my cousin and I had, had both drawn an elk tag, a cow elk tag here for the mountains of Arizona. And um, we, we, were, we were successful. We, we killed two uh, beautiful cows. Uh, right at the same time, mind you, so it was a very long night for us. Uh, but he showed me and taught me how to uh, really break down an animal um, into edible bits, you know, into something that I could throw in a in a crock pot or mix into some sort of casserole or or shoot, just throw on a grill and and grill it up. So, as far as how long, um, it, it definitely takes more than a couple of seasons you know, uh, to become really good, proficient. Um, and then really, at least for me, it's become a lifelong pursuit. You know, um, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn something new, um, you know, better ways to use the meat, um, better ways to, uh, you know, uh, package the, the meat, uh, and, and yeah, right down to the cooking of it, you know, um, um, game meat venison it is is different than you know your grass fed or sorry <laughs> grain raised beef. It's it's a completely different flavor complex. Yeah, it's very and, lean. Uh, Although I do find yes. that you know the venison you know taken from the outback is very much like grass fed beef to me. They're both very lean. Um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, that's the comparison I was going to draw, and I said <laughs> I said instead of you know saying uh, you know corn fed you know, uh, finished in a feedlot beef, you know, it's, it's, it, it is very much more like, like grass fed, um, any kind of, you know, red meat. So, uh, very good, but yeah, you do have to figure out the whole lean situation, you know, um, it's, it's a different ball game cooking it. Yeah, no, cause you know, I actually processed my first deer this year, which I didn't Excellent. kill. Yeah. My, my sister, yeah, my sister killed it. So, which I, you know, uh, turn in my man card later. <laughs> so, hey, but, no yeah. shame in that. Yeah, no exactly. shame in that. No, so she brought it over, and we're, we're sitting in the sink, and we're processing this thing, and it's just, it was just a mess. I'm like, yeah. I, this doesn't even look like a leg. And, uh, but, you know, by the time it was done, I had, we had a few venison steaks. I had enough uh, for stew, and, and mm -hmm. the dogs loved me the most. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, as you become like more familiar with the different cuts, um, it, it really turns into, I mean, you could really draw the comparison to, you know, art form or, you know, I mean, it, yeah, I, now, like this year, my, my daughter, she's 11, this is her first time hunting, and so we're really excited for her, um, and she, she drew a, a doe tag here in Arizona, which is actually kind of hard to get, uh, we don't kill off a lot of females, <laughs> a female deer here in, in this state, but, um, and, We're here in Virginia, but it's mostly with our cars. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to process this deer because I've learned so much from even just the last time that I did it, you know. And the last time was great, you know. We had 
uh, we had neck roast. We had, um, I, I really like the roasts. I really like crock pot type meals or, or really braising that meat. Um, that can really uh, add a lot of different flavor and put you in contact with more parts of the animal rather than just, you know, oh, I got a couple roasts. You know, I'm going to cut the back straps into some steaks and then I'm going to grind the rest. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. And, and that's something that has taken me, you know, I'm 12 or 13 years in now. And, and it's taken me that long to really kind of get to that progression. Well, and the fact that you can cook, you know, one of the things I find most amazing about, uh, you say millennials or Gen Zers or hell, even the Gen Xer like I am, is yeah. we've lost, cooking has become a lost art. So the idea that you can go out, kill something, you know, butcher it and prepare it and then feed yourself and your family. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a full life cycle there. And we seem to, people seem to have forgotten how to do that stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean that honestly. That's that's now. I mean, I, I don't really know what my huge draw to hunting was. I, I I didn't. I wasn't. I don't think aware enough at that. You know, when I first started to really kind of contemplate why it is that I have to do this or want to do this. But certainly now, um, it is most definitely to be a part of that life cycle. You know, I don't. I don't want to sterilize life. I don't want to. Uh, or saran wrapped life, you could probably say, you know, I want, um, I want to be a part of it, you know, and this is, this is a, a, at a very basic level, you know, feed myself and, and my loved ones, um, and, you know, harvest something that is, is pure and, and really delicious to eat. I mean, that's, that's really exciting for me and, and one of my main motivations now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, you said you didn't want to sterilize life. I, I, I often talk to my friends and other people on the podcast about we've gotten to a point where the FDA makes us irradiate our food, they wash everything in chlorine, it kills all the bacteria, and now everyone has a gluten intolerance or celiac disease, and, and mm-hmm. they're selling us bacteria in the form of probiotics back because our food <laughs> is so clean it's killed anything beneficial to help us digest it. So, hey, make your market, right? I mean, they made a new market. <laughs> but no, I completely agree. Yeah, sterilize it to the point of, of no nutrients, you know. And and especially, I, that's why it's so important to me to uh, to butcher my own animals. Um, because then I know exactly what happened from, you know, the exact moment that it passed um, to when I put it in my stomach. You know, I know every single step and it's completely within my control. So one of the biggest challenges I think that people have to getting into hunting, and I'll say, you know, for myself and for several of my friends, is finding that mentor, finding someone to guide you through the journey without belittling you or making you feel like a city folk. Because, you know, most of my friends are jarheads, and, you know, somebody was, you know, I want to go hunting with, and it's like, oh, you don't know anything about shooting. We're probably going to beat that guy to death. So Right, right, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, uh, is that, that seems to be the focus of your podcast of how to get into it. If this is something you want to do, you want to learn, how do you do it? So if you could walk us through that process and then, you know, what you're doing, I think that would be helpful. Sure. So I think the, the biggest thing, like you said, really is finding that mentor. Um, and for me, uh, you know, looking back hindsight 2020, right, there were some people that I should have asked, I could have asked um, to help me. Um, and you know, about halfway through that real, you know, informative, you know, 10 year process, I, I, I did eventually say, Hey, you know, I'd love to hunt with you. Let's put in together, 
out here that's you know code for let's let's apply for the exact same tag so we can hunt together you know back back there in, e- in the east you can just say hey you know uh, let's go hunt the same property together or you know you know let's have deer camp together or whatever it is you know um so it, it is it is really that is the biggest thing is is finding someone that can uh really show you the ropes and break down some of the uh, those bigger barriers to entry and and the best ways i found uh to find someone to mentor you um depending on uh the state you live in um there are quite a few conservation groups there are quite a few even state-run programs they'll have group hunts they'll have um uh, training sessions uh, educational seminars and those are an excellent place to start you, all you have to do is contact your uh, your state game and fish or natural resources department, whoever handles the the regulation of, of the hunting, whether that's um, uh, if you live in like a Canadian province or, you know, whatever that governing body is, contact them. Usually on their website, they'll have um, a place that says, you know, uh, group hunts or activities. Go to the calendar and look through the fall. Um, here in the state of Arizona, we actually have quite a few different hunts. Uh, usually centered around small game uh, that you can go on that would, uh, um, you know, kind of, like I say, break down some of those barriers to entry. Uh, There's a big one. uh, It's kind of the kickoff to the season, really, here. It's September 1st, uh, that that first weekend in September, I guess I should say. And that's that's when dove season opens out here. Um, Now, I know we talk a lot about big game and you know, deer and out west. Here we talk about elk and antelope and all those things. But uh, you know, glassing over small game, uh, just and and you know, kind of not including them in, in the conversation, really is it's non beneficial <laughs> because a, a lot of our first experiences hunting is going to be for small game species. So a lot of those you know mentored hunts or group hunts will be centered around um, a small game species. So just because it's not going for deer, don't say, oh, I'm not going to go for it. Uh, some of the best meals I've ever had have been, you know, duck or uh, rabbit, quail. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great way to get started. So that's that's probably the first way. Um, actually, back up. I would say that would probably be your second way. The first way is to look around you. You know, maybe you have a family member, you know, a crazy uncle who hunts, uh, you know, somebody in your extended family who who goes out and tromps through the woods in the fall, give them a call. Um, no hunter that I know, I'm sure there are some, so that's why I press it with I know, is going to tell someone, you know, especially if they're in the later years of their life, you know, hey, I'd really like to learn to hunt. You know, can I come out and observe you? You know, can I come out and hunt with you? Sometimes it takes that reaching out, you know, to just kind of bridge the gap. So, that's cool. Now, I, I like how you talked about the small game because I know squirrel hunting and other things are supposed to be yeah. more fun because it's a lot more active. You're not sitting in a tree stand freezing your ass off for 24 hours. You're out there, yeah. you know, you hit your bag limit in the day and you come through. Um, hey, one of the things yeah. I would like you to talk about, you, uh, this is a libertarian podcast, so you keep talking sure. about tags and government regulations. Uh, can you expand mm-hmm. upon that and some of the restrictions and why they're there? Sure, absolutely. Actually, that's one of the things that um, 
a lot of my friends who haven't hunted or don't hunt don't understand is that actually um, hunting is a, a, a fairly regulated sport. Uh, sport. It is a fairly regulated activity because um, I I personally don't give high fives during hunting. So you know, anyway. Um, but yeah, it is regulated. Um, so and it depends on what state you live in as to what regulations you would uh, have to adhere to. Um, and so I'll just break that down really quick and then I'll answer the, the, you know, why they're needed and, and all that stuff. Um, I understand that so, most libertarians will say they're not needed. So, <laughs> right, right. And so I'll, I'll defend the position that they are while saying, you know, there's a lot, of, I agree with a lot of the, the libertarian not needed regulations. Like I, I totally get that. Um, so uh, so it depends on the state that you live in. Here, out in the West, it's most hunts are done on a tag basis, meaning you fill out an application, you say, I want to hunt uh, deer, and I want to do it in this area. We have game management units, and you know, in, so I want to hunt deer in this area in, for this specified hunt that you know, Game and Fish has, has said that, you know, I guess has outlined. And you, so you say, so you put your name in the hat, so to speak, and if your name gets pulled out of the hat, this is very simplistic, but if your name gets pulled out of the hat, then they issue you a, a tag to harvest. So you can go out and you can legally shoot and kill uh, whatever that tag is for. If it's, a, if it's a deer, whitetail, if it's a mule deer, if it's a bighorn sheep, you, you can legally go out and take that animal. Um, back east, and I have lived in Texas, which is not east, but... Um, there, it's basically you buy a hunting license, and on that hunting license, you're allowed to harvest, um, depending on the county you live in in Texas, uh, you're allowed to harvest, you know, up to four deer. Um, but there's some rules for that, you know, two or three of them should be does, one of them should be a buck, you know, that type of thing. Um, so it's a lot, if you have property, it's a lot easier to harvest uh, to, to, to actually kill the animal that way. Um, I should say there's a lot more opportunity to do that. Um, so, so the the reason behind the regulations, um, we went unregulated up until about 19, um, I think it's in the 1920s, I don't know the exact date. Uh, we went unregulated for hunting. And what that meant was basically, you know, every fall, everybody who wanted to would go out and shoot and kill whatever they deemed necessary uh, or that, you know, their family needed. And uh, about, yeah, in the mid-1920s, uh, everyone kind of started taking a look around and going, man, we don't have any deer. Where, you know, where are all the deers? Hey, where, where, where's all the turkey? Um, and out west, it was, well, the sheep are gone. Um, the antelope are almost gone. Um, you know, the elk are, are now, instead of being plains animals, they've adapted to become, you know, a mountain animal to get away from us. Uh, and their their herds are shrinking. It was all due um, to major overharvesting. And um, so what they did was they went in and they and they actually said, you know, no hunting of big game animals. You couldn't hunt deer in the 1950s. Well, sometimes you could, depending on the state, uh, but certainly nowhere near as numerous as they are now. Um, and so those those conservation laws were put into place to help restore uh, the, the, uh, the wildlife that we depleted. You know, in the early 60s, 
you, you, you hunted was small game. You hunted rabbits. You hunted squirrels. And, you know, if you had some ducks, you would hunt ducks, too, because ducks were a market commodity. So they'd go out and they'd shoot a boatload of ducks, and they'd bring them in and they'd sell them to a restaurant. Um, I mean, it's a great way to eat nice, fresh duck, but it really led to over-harvesting. Um, and so that's why a lot of these conservation groups, too, popped up, you know, Ducks Unlimited, um, um, all the different sheep societies and, um, you know, different whitetail and, and deer groups that have come up to really help conserve these this resource that we have so that we can then use it for in the future. So, so to say that it, it was necessary, um, it, it is so. Now, to, to, to play the, the opposite side of that, you know, you have a property and, you know, you're overrun with deer, but, you know, Game of Fish says you can only take so many off of that property. You know, why, is, why are those laws in place? Um, obviously, there's always going to be an exception to the rule. Um, but the laws were put in place in order to, uh, number one, bring back the hunting heritage that we were about to lose. So I hope that answered that question. I'm not sure, Jason. No, was like, no, it's, it does. I mean, I and I get conservation and stuff like that. It's funny yeah. though. a lot of times we you know, we find when things are, you know, what you're describing is what is known as a tragedy of the commons, right? When it belongs right. to nobody, then nobody protects it. Where if you exactly. made the deer, if you made the herds private property, the farmer, the rancher, people who could hire out hunting would feed the herd and they would grow them, and then uh, that's how that's what brought the buffalo back. You know, buffalo yeah. was going to be extinct until some guys said, "Hey, we can make burgers out of these," and then, <laughs> and, yeah. and they're delicious. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah no, I, I get where that's coming from. It's funny, is you know, even in Virginia, we're overrun with deer. Like they're like flies, but they right. you, you exactly. still have you still have to get tags. You're only allowed to harvest so many, and then mm-hmm. you can get things called nuisance tags. But I, I take it from my standpoint, since we don't have a lot of natural predators for deer out here, we don't have bobcats, mountain lions. We have bear and coyote, but we try to kill the coyotes whenever we can. Sure. Um, that it seems almost like a tax generation scheme. Like it's a revenue for the state by selling these hunting tags and re- you know regulating this recreational activity. Or sometimes it's um, some people live off their hunting. Right. You're, you're regulating sure. someone's livelihood to, to be able to feed their family. And I get it if we if the population is low, it makes some sense to me. And don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, right now, you know, Murray Rothbart's turning over in his grave. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it is, you know, I understand the drive for that. But at some point in time, it's like, okay, the herds are back. We need to remove the restrictions. We need to do this or sell the herds to farmers or ranchers who will protect them and then lease out hunting rights. So does that make sense? Yeah, and yes, and, and I, so in some parts of the country that can work. You know, uh, but like out here where it's dry, I hunt. well, it's dry. I hunt public land. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't hunt private land. It's, it's one too expensive Two, I, I, I have before and it, there's always the, Oh, you know, am I going to do something wrong? That's then going to make it. So then I can't, uh, you know, hunt this area anymore. It, it's just that, that, that fear. Yeah, yeah it's and, always over and, your head. Yeah, and like I'm being watched all this. So I, I hunt public land. 
and I would hate to see the Arizona deer herd be sold off and regulated by an indi- a private individual. Um, because then, okay, yes, I, I'm still having to pay. I'll probably have to pay more. You know, I pay $58 for a deer tag um, to, to lease hunting rights, at least in Texas, for a minimum of, of one animal a year. I was looking at two grand. Are you kidding um, me? That seems no, a not excessive. No, not at all. And Texas actually is very much what you're talking about. Um, it's all, no, 94% of the state is privately held land. And so if you want to hunt anywhere, you have to get permission or lease uh, that right from the landowner. Essentially, the landowner owns those deer. If It's not written that way in the, in the, in the legislation, but because of the way that everything works in order to hunt that deer you have to pay the landowner for it um and yeah a lease on a on a on a hunting property um is is at least two grand wow. so so while you may be able to find some ways to do it more economically it makes it more of a rich man sport instead of just a common man sport you know um and so i think there's probably ways to do it both way uh but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's a unique case, too. The federal government owns 48% of the land. So if they were to open that up and sell it back to, you know, to private citizens, I think you you have a much freer option. But they, they don't seem to be doing that. They seem to just be buying up the West and sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so I, get, I, I, I get it. And uh, I would hate yeah. for someone to say that, hey, you know, yeah, this is public land. You can't You can't hunt on it. Um, I just, it was interesting. You said that the, uh, the overhunting happened because of a tragedy of the commons. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's pulling. exactly, yeah. that's exactly what it was. All right, cool. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, one of the biggest things, um, at least the biggest hurdle that I've found for people to actually get out into the field and to get out hunting, um, is is really not knowing, and I hate to plug this because it is a libertarian podcast. That's fine. But not you know not knowing where to hunt, how to hunt, everything like that. Check into that state agency. Um, those tax dollars, those dollars, you know, they're not tax dollars. Those fees that they charge, you know, for your hunting license, if you if they require tags or something like that, they do go to programs that help people. Um, well, a person like me who wanted to hunt as a 25, 26 year old, you know, my dad didn't hunt. Uh, I, I wasn't raised around it and I had to learn all this stuff. And I wish that someone had told me, Hey, you know, go to Arizona game fish and they've got a seminar. They've got a group hunt. You can go on. They've got people who will teach you how to do this. I wish I would have, I would have went that route. Um, it would have it definitely made it a lot easier for me to get into um, this lifestyle that I absolutely I, I love and I can't imagine myself without. So that's pretty cool. No, it's it's you you know you paid for the resources. You should definitely use them. Yeah, so. that's exactly it. You know, if you if you're buying a hunting license, first of all, thank you for you know participating in conservation. Uh, and two, yeah, use the resource. You know, it's there for you. Let's let's use it, especially if it means we get more hunters out in the field, because then we might be able to actually balance out that deer herd, especially you know back east there. So it's, it's funny is I don't know if you know who uh, Roger Paxton is or the lava flow podcast, 
but he is one. He's one of the most principled anarchists I've ever heard, uh, and he actually moved out to New Hampshire to be part of the Free State Project. And he starts his show with how many people have been killed by police, and then he gives a factoid about New Hampshire's. I heard him in an interview. Someone goes, "Where do you get these factoids?" He's like, "Oh, from the New Hampshire State site." <laughs> Just I was like, "Wait uh, a minute!" <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah. That's right. No, I you know, like I say, it's it's an it's an important thing, and I guess I should give this plug. We at uh, the hunting community as a whole is shrinking. It's not growing. I, you know, people like me, adult onset hunters, are an absolute exception to the rule. Ninety-nine percent of people who hunt do so because their dad hunted, their grandfather hunted, uh, you know, their great grandfather, and they all hunt the same property, you know, like that. Um, well, as the old members are are going, you know, as they're passing away, this next generation is is, you know, tapering off. The baby boomers are getting older; they're not hunting our hunting numbers are, are dwindling. And so that's part of my mission is to, to create more opportunity and more awareness for people to hunt. Because, hey, if we don't have the, if we don't have the support, if we don't have people doing it, this could be a thing of the past, and I don't want that to happen. Well, it absolutely seems to be going that way. You got PETA, you got the vegetarians, you got absolutely. people. You know, it's, it's funny is, you know, since I've been doing this podcast, I've been talking to a – ton of homesteaders and preppers and homeschoolers and and many of them aren't necessarily they don't consider themselves libertarian but they are absolutely in the liberty movement and all they want to know is hey i want to be left alone and how do i take care of myself and we seem to be losing Mm -hmm. that um the amount of people i meet who honest to god can't feed themselves uh (laughs) it just blows my mind it's like wait a minute you're you're you know you're saying that you don't you want less government you want to be left alone but you can't boil water and, uh, yeah, right. And, and, you know, and just like, you know, just taking one deer will provide meat for your family, you know, say a family of four for several months. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you know, even the one that I have still in the refrigerator, we would, I've been chomping on that thing for four months now. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, depending on how you use it and really the utilization. So I guess that's probably what I was speaking to earlier as I, as I, um, harvest more, process more, just become more and more familiar with, with really breaking down, you know, uh, and butchering an animal, I get more and more effective at using more of the animal, you know? And so it's, it's definitely a, uh, a learned thing, but yeah, I mean, my first year I, I ground a whole bunch of it and I had like two roasts and some stew meat. That was about it, you know? And now I'm looking at, you know, a whole bunch of different things. And so it's, it's really an education. You know, all these people say, oh, well, I want to be, you know, more self-support. I want to be left alone, da, da, da. Okay, that's great. You know, start learning. You know, start doing and, and you know, taking an active part in it. And that's really all it takes. Yep. Now, it's uh, interviewed Stacy from the So Edible podcast. And he's like, if you want a homestead at some point in time, grow something now. If you think you can throw some seeds in the ground and you're going to have a lush garden, you're a fool. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's true. It, you know, these all these things are skills and you just got to take it and practice and sometimes you're going to fail, but you know what? You sure. get better. You learn from your mistakes and you continue to get better. Yeah. If I if I, after my first year, so my very first hunt I went on, I by a stroke of luck harvested a, a a small mule deer and if I had tried to hunt 
every hunt just like that. If I hadn't have learned anything else, I, I, I would have, in fact, it took me uh, five years to, to then harvest my next animal um, because I, I tried to hunt the same way and it, I, I hadn't learned anything, you know? And so, yeah, it really does take doing and learning and, and failing <laughs> uh, in order to, to do it. So. Yeah, no, it's funny is that uh, is human beings do not learn through positive reinforcement, no matter what. Needs <laughs> that is so true, right? Yep. So, all right, Nathan, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Before we go, though, tell people where they can reach you. Give me your dot coms. Uh, MentorTheHunt.com and uh, the Mentor the Hunt podcast. I'm also on Instagram at MentorTheHunt. Uh, and I'd love to hear any good comments, bad comments, whatever. You know, open the conversation. Let's talk. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jason. Time for this week's joke. It's interesting living out here on the farm, especially during hunting season. You always hear guns going off. Sometimes you see people running through the woods with spotlights committing illegal acts. But the worst is a new hunter came on my property, killed an animal, and then commenced a fight with me about it being a deer. I'm like, miss, I'll have you know this is a horse. She goes, no, it's a deer. And finally, I just gave up. I said, fine, let me just get my saddle off it. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up our interview with Nathan of the Mentor the Hunt podcast. Hunting is not for everyone, but it is an essential skill, and you should know where your food comes from, and if need be, how to provide for yourself. If you liked today's episode, please go to iTunes and leave me a five-star rating and some comments. It's nice to know people are out there listening. It also helps us grow the show so we can bring more content to you. And don't forget to follow the show today on Facebook at Jason Carrier or on Twitter at Live Free and Grow. Until next time, I'm Jason Carrier. Live free and grow. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting RemzoRepublic.com. 